Good morning. My name is, uh, what does it say? Mike, thank you. It's been a rough week, so I'm uh, needing a little help there. So, hi, I'm Mike. You're supposed to say hi, Mike. We'll try that again. Hi, I'm Mike. Good, thank you. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, today, I uh, apparently I'm speaking. So we're going to uh, we're going to talk about kind of a tough subject today. It's relationships, and uh, we're going to get into uh, some uh, issues with relationships. When relationships uh, have hard times, with uh, I mean, there's uh, all kinds of stuff out there that the world throws at us to try and get our attention away from the relationship that God had in mind when He put us together, man and woman. Um, uh, the big idea for today, how, the, what I want you, you to walk away from, from today with is uh, to know that God is in the business of restoring relationships. He's in the business of restoration, and it's, it's oftentimes uh, way beyond our grasp. We don't think that, uh, that the, the thing, the relationship could ever be mended. It's, it's gone too far, but that's not true for God. Anything's possible with God. It's when we try to control it, when we try to manipulate it, just like Chris has been talking about, that, that things go bad. But when we give it up to God and uh, leave it in His control, He's in the business of restoring those relationships no matter what. So let's look at the relationship, how it started out in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper who is just right for him. We skip forward uh, to verse 22. It says, Then the Lord made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man explained. He's like, Woo! All right, I got the one for me. All right? Because he had been through all the animals and all that other stuff before that. Nothing was suitable. No, no other thing was suitable for Adam, and then God made woman. And it was perfect. And that's how it started out. See, when you first got together, if you're in a relationship now, think back when you first got together, how you couldn't do anything but think about her or him and how you wanted to spend all your time with them and you wanted to be on the phone with them all the time and now you're probably sending emails all the time or text messages. You know how excited you were when you first got together in that relationship. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here when it first started. And that's the way God wants the relationship to be. But then kind of life gets in the way, doesn't it? We kind of lose our focus. We lose our passion for that person that we're in, in relationship with. And let me just say this. If you're single right now and you're not in a relationship, it's okay. <laughs> All right. You can pick up. I want you to pick up some wisdom for the future because when you get into a relationship, life is going to happen, right? And, it, and it's, it's just the way it is. Life happens and it tries to tear us away from what we're doing or what, what God wants us to do in that relationship. See? Uh, maybe you don't care so much about how you look anymore because you're in a relationship. You know, the six-pack abs is more like a 12-pack, all right? It's kind of pushing out there. The love notes that you used to write all the time, you just don't write them anymore. You don't have time for it. Hugs and kisses, they don't come as easy or as often, do they? See, getting all gussied up for your boyfriend there means that you shave your legs sometimes in the last month or two and you spent five minutes on the hair, which used to take an hour. See, life just gets in the way, right? We've stopped sharing our dreams and our desires with each other. Uh, we've replaced that with the busyness of life. See, without even realizing it, we've eliminated the intimacy 
We've eliminated the passion. We've eliminated the romance and the spontaneity, really, in our relationships. And it's just taken us down a road we don't want to go. But in the busyness of life, we don't even see how we can get out of it either. I mean, how, what are you going to cut out? Everything's important, isn't it? Everything's vying for your time. What are you going to come out? You, mean, you didn't plan it to be this way, did you? You didn't wake up one day and say, I want this relationship to tank. I want it to go bad. Nobody says that. But we end up there. Let's take a look at an example of some things that uh, in David's life, and we're going to see some things that we shouldn't do uh, in this in this uh, example. It's, it's David and Bathsheba. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we're just going to kind of walk through this and pick up some wisdom uh, from this example, this thing that really happened, and uh, look at some of the things that we shouldn't do that will help us from letting the relationship kind of fall away. First of all, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, that was his right-hand man, he was in charge of the army, and, uh, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. All right, we start off with an example of what not to do. If, you are, if you've got responsibility, you can't just pretend that you don't have responsibility. David here is the king. He should be leading the army into battle, but he's not. He's staying behind. Why did he do that? I don't know. Maybe he had other busy things going on. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he, uh, maybe he just was kind of tired of being king. You ever get tired of all your responsibilities? I do. Well, he's decided to pretend that he didn't have the responsibilities. Joab's a pretty good guy. He's tough. He can handle it. I'll just send him off and let him do it. See, he felt he deserved a break today, but if you're not do if you're not in the place you're supposed to be, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're setting yourself up for failure. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it tells us to stay alert. Why? Because we're supposed to watch out for our great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing, you're setting yourself up to get taken out by the devil. Certainly, I mean, deep down inside, Mike is just a selfish jerk, okay? I can get myself up into all kinds of problems all on my own, but yet I have this enemy out there who really wants to kill me, and he wants to kill you. If he had the chance, he'd do it. Seriously. The devil would not like nothing better than to take you out. But if he can't take you out, if he can't kill you because God is protecting you, then he's going to do whatever he can to ruin your life. And that certainly applies to your relationships. So is David in alert mode here? Is he staying alert, watching out for the devil? He is not, because he's kicked back at the house when he should be out fighting the war. Let's move on. First, one more thing. It's another example of how we're supposed to do life together, okay? We, we're talking about this community groups thing and, 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 and all that. Doing life together is what God intended. He knows we can't make it on our own, all right? He knows that we need each other. If we don't live life that way, again, we're setting ourselves up for failure. So to do life right, you've got to do it with other people. Ecclesiastes 4.12 kind of illustrates this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. They're helping each other out, right? Three are even better for a triple-braided cord is not easy. If you've got your buddy watching your back, then you can take it. You, you can take the fight and you can win. But if you're, if you're out there all alone and you think you can handle it, you can't. 
The world tells us we're supposed to be able to. We're supposed to have it all together, but we can't do it. We can't do it on our own. Let's, go, let's read on about David. Uh, see, chapter, or verse 2. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace, and he looked out over the city, and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. What was David doing? Was he doing anything really wrong? I mean, we've already established he's in the wrong place at the wrong time because he didn't go where he was supposed to be. But was he really looking for trouble here? Is he looking for, looking for a problem? What were his intentions? Was he looking for bathing beauties out on the roof? He was just walking around, right? But he set himself up by being in that place to, uh, to see something that he shouldn't have saw. If he was out fighting the war, this wouldn't have happened, all right? So he sees this woman taking a bath. And what's the, what's the next question? I wonder who she is. She's pretty beautiful. I'm a king. I have a ton of wives. That's what they did back then. So maybe maybe he's thinking, If uh, in uh, verse 3 he says he sent someone out to find out who she was. So maybe he's thinking to himself, if she's single, I'll make her my wife. She's beautiful. She must be a good woman. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. So uh, he sent someone out to find out who she was, and uh, and then he gets the answer. He's told, well, this is Bathsheba. She's the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Oh, she's married. Well, what's supposed to happen now? End of conversation, right? There should be no more conversation about Bathsheba. We shouldn't be watching her finish her bath, right? We should go into the house and forget we even saw Bathsheba. But that's not what happened. See, again, if you're not doing what you're supposed to, and if you're not where you're supposed to be, you're setting yourself up for failure. See, even this chance encounter uh, with somebody can lead us to a place where we're wanting to get fulfillment of our desires from a, from a place that we shouldn't get it. Now, this guy's already got a bunch of wives, but he, he thinks he wants this other one. And in our own personal lives, as we get into the busyness of life and our relationships kind of fall away, with our, with our spouse or with our significant other, we start to look for what we don't have in them anymore elsewhere. And we don't necessarily even, I guess I said that wrong, we don't necessarily start to look for it, but when we see it somewhere else, when we catch a glimpse of it, we pursue it in another area with another person instead of pursuing it with the person we're with. And that's just wrong. See, if we were just to pursue the person we're with, the person that God set us up to be with, then life would be great because we would be in the relationship that God had intended in the first place. We would back, be back when we were saying, wow, this is great because I'm with the woman that God set me up with. I'm with the man that God set me up with. And we're working on a relationship together. We're investing in each other. And our relationship is growing. But instead, we take the easy way out and we look for it other, in other places instead of working on, on where we should be. So he sent someone to find who she was. We find out she's Bathsheba. And then instead of forgetting about her like he should have, we go to verse 4 and he says, and it says that David sent messengers to get her. Now what's he thinking now? Well, maybe we'll just talk. You know, I'm lonely. Uh, I'm sure all my other wives are busy shopping, you know, getting groceries or whatever. And uh, he came to, she came to the palace and it happened. You know, it happened. He probably knew it was going to happen before when he, when he sent to go get her. And he slept with her. All right. Here's a question I have. It doesn't say it in the text. And, I, and I'm not trying to say this happened, but how did Bathsheba act? 
when she was pulled into the palace? Did she put up a fight? Did she say, no, this is wrong. I'm married. We shouldn't do this. Or was she also getting something out of the relationship? Hey, the king thinks I'm beautiful. Hey, somebody important thinks I'm important enough to go get me and bring me to the palace. Maybe she was feeding her own ego too. See, it's a two-way street. It takes two to tango. Isn't that the saying? And, and doing this, it doesn't matter if you're the man or the woman. You, we're just kind of feeding our own selfish desires. We're feeding our own egos at, at times. And we're taking the easy way out. When God just said, I got somebody for you. And if you invest in them and do it that way, then things will be fine. But we just do this because, hey, you know, maybe it's just going to be a one-time thing. It's not going to hurt anybody. Nobody will even know about it. But then come the consequences. See, if we read further and further into this uh, encounter, we find out that things just go wrong from here. They were already wrong from the start, but they go worse. See, in verse 5, Bathsheba discovers she's pregnant, and she tells David. And then David comes up with his grand scheme to cover it up because he can't just confess his sin. He's got to cover it up. And he comes up with a plan. I'll get his, her husband to come back from the war, and I'll get him drunk. And he'll want to go sleep with his wife, and then he won't even know that it's not his kid. So we'll just cover it up. Well, the only problem with that is Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, has got some character. And he says, well, my men are out fighting the war. The ark is out there. All of Israel is out there fighting the war. I don't really feel like I should be coming home sleeping with my wife. So he sleeps on the stoop of the front porch of the, of the king's castle instead. Well, there goes the plan. You know, you got to kind of be together to make a baby, so uh, this is not working out. So David comes up with a better plan. I'll just kill him. I'll get him killed. And he sends a letter, verse 15. The letter, David's letter, instructed Joab, the, the guy who was in charge of the army, said, Station Uriah, who is Bathsheba's husband, on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest, and then pull back so he'll be killed. What is he, is he even thinking at this point? You know, how do you, that little thing, that little glance on top of the roof has snowballed into this thing where he's now committed adultery and now murder? You see, the consequences add to more situations and those situations add to more consequences and it just snowballs and you find yourself in this mess that you never intended to be in in the first place. See, in the days of King David, you might happen a chance encounter while you're walking out on your roof. But technology today is pushing this stuff at us at a rate that's just kind of alarming. See, what we think is done in secret, it really isn't. And what we think only affects ourselves affects everybody else around us. Now, I looked at some stats uh, on, on porn. And that is so ready, readily available. Um, one of the ones, uh, there's a lot of numbers there, but and we're going to look at a few, but one of the ones that uh, the average first even an accidental um, exposure to porn is about 11 years old on the Internet. And once it gets in, it's kind of like a hook. And every time you view it, it's like the hook gets set deeper. And you got you got a line on the end of that hook, and, the, and, and it's like the devil can just jerk that anytime he wants. And the deeper that hook is set in you, the, the further you're going to go with it. Well, let's look at some stats. Visitors to porn sites. About 72% are male and uh, 28% are female. 17% of all women struggle with an addiction to porn. 
I would have thought that the number, uh, they're saying it's becoming more predominant in women now, is, is what I'm reading. Um, 2002, a study showed excessive interest in online porn contributed more than 50% of divorces, but seven years before, porn was really a non-existent issue in divorce cases. 2006, a study showed that learning of a spouse's porn use has the same impact of learning about an affair. That one kind of scares me because it's so readily available. And it seems like it's so private. Promise keeper men, people that go to these uh, uh, religious uh, big gatherings. I've never been to one, but um, I hear it's pretty cool. But men who have admit, they do surveys of these guys that come to this, like thousands of people show up for these uh, conferences. And the, of the people that go to those conferences, uh, 53% admitted to viewing porn in the previous week. We're searching for God, but we're also in the world. And we're stuck there, and we don't know how to get out of it, I think. And Christians who say porn is a major problem in their home, almost half. See, the numbers, the way we live our life as Christians, followers of Jesus, seems to be pretty close to the way the world lives their lives. And that's because we're not living in the power of God, I think. This is Mike's opinion. That we are missing the power of God in our lives, and we don't realize that we don't remember maybe that, that God is in the business of restoration, that God can t- change totally anything. See, I'm, churches in the past got so good at saying, pointing out what's wrong with you and how you need to act and how you need to be before you can come be a part of the church. I think it's backwards. I think churches ought to welcome the people in the world that are having these problems and then help them get over the situation because all they will, all we really need to do is point to Jesus. When we point to Jesus and say, if you trust in him for forgiveness of all your sins, then he is going to make you into a new creation. See, I'm not speaking to you from uh, a place where I'm saying, you've got a problem and you need to fix it because I'm a pastor and i got my stuff together. I don't, all right? I, I was up here, I don't know, a week or two ago, and, and my wife and I talked a little bit about our marriage relationship, which... I've been married 23 years now, but at 15, it was over. We were this close to getting a divorce. And part of our problem was porn, and it was my problem. See, I had a problem with porn. My marriage was already a wreck. That relationship was not working well, and I was not investing in that relationship, and she wasn't either. And I started to look elsewhere for fulfillment of all those things that I was missing in that relationship. I uh, was viewing porn on the Internet. And, um, you know, there's a lot of shame and, and guilt and it goes with that, but it, it's, it's just something that we have to get over and we have to be able to share with each other. And I'm not saying everybody needs to stand up in front of the whole church and say, yeah, I view, I view porn. I think in the context of relationships, like in, in the small groups that we do here, we get into those relationships where we trust each other, where we build trust and we share our lives together, and then we can do what James says and confess our sins once, one to another. See, that's what it's about. We've got a group link event going on 16 August, and if you're not in a small group, if you're not in a community group, community with other believers or non-believers, but in community with people that uh, are looking for answers from the Bible, then, then you're missing it. You need that help. We've already saw that in Ecclesiastes. But I started spending more and more time 
viewing porn in less and less time with my wife. It was just easier. Every time I talked to my wife, we got into an argument. The picture on the screen doesn't require anything from me. I just receive. See, I started to think about porn more. I started to plan more and more when I could view porn, and I started to do the things that really kind of sound like an affair, doesn't it? It doesn't matter if it's porn or if it's another person. Those are the things you do. You plan for times when you can be with them. And you want, your desire is to be with them. See, when I was with my wife, I even had images in my head from the other experience. And for me, I just thought it was over. There's no way anything's going to come out good out of this. But then God. See, all throughout this book, it says, but God. And that's when God is stepping in and he is doing something amazing. He gave us, he started working miracles when I just asked a question. There's got to be something better than this. And he came through in a big way. See, I didn't know God at the time. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't following Jesus. And he stepped into my life and he started putting things in place where I would see him, where I would hear him. And I became a believer finally, but I, after a big struggle... That didn't stop my porn use. So you were, you, the first step is to become a believer and to start to try to follow Jesus. And he will work that out. He will stop the smoking. He will make you stop drinking if that's what he wants for you to do. He will do all those things. I'm not saying you have to stop smoking or stop drinking. I'm saying in church, don't make it a requirement to be good before you can come. See, church is, not, church is like the hospital for people who are sick. And what I did is I prayed. I prayed for healing in my, my marriage. I prayed for God to give me back the intimacy that I desired with my wife, the way it was supposed to be. And he came through. He suppressed the images in my head so when I was with her, I didn't have those anymore. And he started to grow us together, and he repaired and he mended. And now we have a relationship that is so much better than I ever thought it could be. See, it's actually kind of freaking my wife out. Because my desire is so great for her now. And now that we're getting older and she complains about wrinkles and putting on weight and all this stuff, her confidence is going down and my desire is going up. And they're not, we're having, we're actually having a problem with that. But uh, she doesn't understand in her mind why I would want her more now than when she was younger. And uh, I, I can't explain it, it's God. And I'm telling you from experience that God mends these relationships. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Note, here's the situation. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out. What's the way out? Well, let's read uh, chapter 6. Uh, run from sexual sin. That, that's a command. And you can actually physically run from sexual sin. And that's what you need to do. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit takes up residence when you become uh, a Christian, when you become a believer, a follower of Jesus. And so you don't belong to yourself. For God brought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. When you view porn, when you uh, get into an adulterous relationship as a Christian, you are making the Holy Spirit a part 
of that act. You are making, basically, Jesus and God experience that same thing. So run. What does that look like? Look at Genesis chapter 39. This is a situation with Joseph. His boss had trusted him with great things, who was a king, uh, had trusted him with great things in his kingdom, and he had pretty much had responsibility over everything. But his boss's wife kept coming after him, trying to get him to sleep with her. Verse 11, chapter 39. One day, however, when no one else was around, he went in to do his work. He was doing the right thing. He was in the right place. But she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. What did Joseph do? He did the right thing. He ran. He tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her, in her hands as he ran from the house. He ran out so fast, he left his shirt. All right? That's what we need to be about doing. How, you see, if drinking is your problem, don't, don't go to the bar alone. All right? If drugs are your problem, don't hang out with people who do drugs. If pornography is a problem, don't sit at home in front of the computer alone. Go out and get some Chinese food or something if you're tempted. I got a call one, <laughs> I got a call one day and I was at the Chinese restaurant eating and Josh, is, Josh called me and he said, where are you at? And we ended up meeting there. He asked me, why are you eating here alone, Chinese food? I'm like, well, the alternate was to stay home in front of the computer because I was, I was being tempted that day. And that day I got it right. And, and I'm lucky I've got relationship with a, a man who will ask me those uh, tough questions uh, sometimes, and I've asked him to ask me those tough questions. I can also get help with software. Uh, there's, a, there's a church site, Triple X Church. Their whole mission is, uh, is to help the porn, uh, people in the porn industry and people who are addicted to porn. This is an example of their site up there if you go to triplexchurch.com. But uh, the next slide will show you that there is some software available there. If you need help with this, load it on your computer. Look at that X3 watch down in the bottom left. Is that right? Right? Bottom left. It's free. You download it, you put it on your computer, and an email will be sent to a couple of people uh, that you trust. And it will show them what, what sites that might be questionable that you visited. So they can come and uh, you guys can have a talk about that. That's getting help. That's what you need. See, you can't, if you think you can handle this alone, you're wrong. You're going to fail. Galatians chapter 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. It's not to point out that you're a sinner. Duh. Everybody's a sinner. It's to give you help, and it's to help you back on the right path. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. See, what we don't realize and what we don't live out every day is that when we follow Jesus, when we become a sinner and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life, all that old stuff is gone. We just don't get it up here yet. And we still try to keep practicing the old ways. See, I'm not saying you're not going to be tempted, but we can be totally new people. See, He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and raised them. So we have stopped evaluating or judging others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. See, that comes from the experience that you will get as you walk with Jesus. The experience that I had as He mended my broken marriage. See, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? A new person. Brand new person. The old life is gone. A whole new life 
has begun. And that's what you get with Jesus. Uh, verse 15. Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 15. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. That just means religion doesn't matter. It's all about the relationship. What counts is whether we have been tr transformed into a new creation. That new creation comes how? By having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how it starts. See, trusting Jesus and Jesus alone for the forgiveness of sins. He is the one who makes all things new. See, God set it up that way. He said, I know you can't make it on your own. I know you need help. I'm providing Jesus. He's going to clear the way. All you've got to do is trust Him. You trust Him, and I'm going to transform your life. I will take out the bad stuff, and I will put in the good. And this is a process. It's slow, and it's painful. My, my marriage did not get healed overnight. We're still working on some things. But healing is there. If you, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, though, you don't get the power of God in your life. See, the power of God, the power of God is available to everybody. And all you've got to do is trust in Jesus. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I ask you, what are you waiting for? Are you handling things on your own? Yes. Do you still have an enemy? Yes, it's the devil, and he's seeking to destroy you. But God wants you to have abundant life, full life, and a great relationship with your spouse, and that's available. So if you doubt that God can heal your relationship no matter what state it's in, I want you to remember that King David, who was an adulterer and a murderer, was considered a man after God's own heart. God wrote that in the Bible. He said, this is a man after my heart. See, because David got, when he sinned, when he finally realized it, and he confessed his sin, he agreed with God that it was terrible, God forgave him. If you read further in chapter, in that Second Samuel, chapter 11, I don't know if it's in the end or if it's in the next chapter, it says that God forgave him. He still had a lot of consequences to it that he had to work through, but God forgave him because he agreed with him. See, I'm up here telling you that it's real, that God is real, and His power is real. And He transformed my life, first of all, and that's where it started, by me having a personal relationship with Jesus and trusting in Him. And then He saved my marriage. So it's available to you. Homework for this week. I don't have anything to hand out to you, but here is uh, the things. you got to be in right relationships. you got to... Uh, in James chapter 5, it says we're supposed to confess our sins one to another. You've got to have the others to confess your sins to in your life. And because when you do that, you're going to be healed. It's through that confession we'd be, we be healed. Now, everybody doesn't need to stand up in front of the church and say they got problems. But you do need to get in right relationships with, with the right people. Learn to run. If you're in a bad relationship right now, you need to run away from it. I don't care how connected you are with the person. I don't care how... Uh, strong the hold of porn is in your life, you need to get out of the, that relationship and you need to run. Get help if you need it. You've got some websites available to you up there, Triple X Church with that software. There's all kinds of different software available that will help you manage that situation. Let me tell you this. Your wife or your husband is not the person to hold you accountable for porn. That's just putting them in a bad position. And especially if you're having trouble in your relationship, that's not the probably the first conversation you want to have, okay? I'm not trying to, to say hide it, but I'm saying it's, it's a process. 
take it step by step. And when God says it's time to share it, then you can share it. That's, that's what I work through with, with my wife and, and our relationship. Uh, but get help. If you don't have anybody in your life right now that you can trust, that you can talk to about these things, you got us. You got on the back of your bulletin, you got some uh, email addresses. Mike at exitonechurch.com. Chris, he's going to be gone for the next week, uh, going to a con- uh, speak at a conference, but he is available. And then anybody else here, Andy uh, is not listed on here, Andy Wargo, Andy at exitonechurch.com. Email us, get with us after the service, uh, just talk with somebody, and we can help you out. And then invest in the right relationship. If you're having trouble with your spouse, then do what you're supposed to be doing in the first place, just like uh, David wasn't doing. See, remember the love notes or the hugs or the things? What did you used to do when you first got together? Start doing that again and start worrying about what you're giving and not what you're receiving. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just ask, I just really beg you to speak boldly and strongly into everyone's life this week. For, especially for those people who are having, having trouble with their relationships, that you would, first of all, just encourage them, love on them to trust in you. If they don't have a relationship with you, that you would make that right. You would make that clear that they can trust you. And then in that relationship, Lord, that you would bless their relationships, their marriages, that you would make them right. You would show them how to walk through step by step and restore that which is broken. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.